okay, zero to four, that's, that's piece of cake, right, Josh? Yeah. That's nothing to it. And, and so if babies freak you out, just go see Josh and he'll rub his daughter on you a couple times and uh, you'll be okay, all right? And, and the neat thing is, is the district will pay you for helping out there. So uh, please help with that. Now, we have a clipboard that's going around to sign up on that. I, well, I don't know where it is now. It's in the back now. Uh, last week, it disappeared. Apparently, it walked with God and it was no more. Uh, but uh, someone really liked it, I guess. Took it home and framed it. I, you know. But if you did sign up last week, please double check on this week's clipboard, which is now going around, uh, to make sure your name uh, is on there. All right. And then another great new opportunity that is happening on Sunday nights, starting on September 5th uh, at 7 p.m., Sunday evenings at 7 p.m., uh, we're going to have an offering called Hot Topics, where we're going to talk about, I don't know, clothing? <laughs> oh, okay. So and it's going to be in Dark Hall which is a cool name, and it's right over there. That's our fellowship hall. Anyway, the, the thrust or the idea behind Hot Topics is for us to get together uh, and talk about uh, some of the hard things. You know, maybe there's some hard questions that go unasked. Now, we'll start off real light and easy so that nobody's brain pops or anything like that. You know, we might talk about, you know, Christians and swearing. Okay. I swear it's going to be a good time. <laughs> and then we're going to, and then we're going to build it. Yeah, I'm booming, man. Matt. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to build up to a little bit more complex uh, issues and learn how to address things uh, biblically, because a lot of our understanding sometimes is affected by our culture. And we're going to learn how to have those discussions in a very respectful and gentle way. You know, it's okay to disagree about some things. We're going to learn how to do that and talk about those things. So that's what's coming up. If you want any more information about things that are happening here at Common Ground, you can go to commongroundcma.org and click on the events and updates tab, and uh, that will give you nice pictures and more information about all these things. Okay, now it's our time of awkward social interaction, and I have this big plan of welcoming our School of Mind students, and we have a handful of them here, but most of them are on campus right now experiencing a worship experience, welcoming them back to school. So we'll do that next week. So here's what I'll do. If you're wearing shorts, go say hi to somebody who's not wearing shorts, and if you're not wearing shorts, go say hi to someone that is wearing shorts. There you go. Go. <laughs>
Well, thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for leading us in worship. That's great. Well, hey, we have a bittersweet privilege today, a little something special for prayer time, and that is that we are saying goodbye, but commissioning a family from our church right now. So at this time, I'm going to be inviting the Schlafmans up to join me here on stage. And as far as reasons for someone to leave Common Ground, as sad as it is to see you guys go, frankly, this is uh, about as good as it gets, uh, because you guys have quite the story about where you are going and what you will be doing. And so, Jason, can you just share with us where exactly are you going and what are you going to be doing? Oh, absolutely. Uh, first, I just want to echo uh, bittersweet is, is definitely the word. Uh, we are super excited, but uh, it, it's really hard to leave this family as well. So um, we are returning to Pana Shell, Guatemala. And if you have had coffee from Guatemala, it's probably grown within about 15 miles of where we'll be. Um, it's on Lake Atitlan in the Western Highlands, so it's about 5,000 feet. Um, and if we were there before, in fact, Luke turned one while we were there, we moved down and he was about four months old. And so, uh, for Carrie and I at least, it feels like a lot like going home. And so, um, we will be, um, the what question is a little harder to answer, the where is really easy. Uh, we will be uh, basically going as missionary support, uh, as a support staff for ministries that are already in place, particularly one family that we, we know dearly and love that are, are uh, working with a ministry called La Casa de la Paz. And at the end of our, our talk, there's a little video uh, showing more about that ministry, but um, that's where we're going. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So what was the discernment process like for you guys as you processed moving your whole family down to Guatemala? You know, this is not something new um, for us. God has uniquely brought Jason and I together. It is just, we have a heart for living overseas and we have sought out opportunities to live overseas throughout our marriage. We actually met in the Peace Corps 15 years ago, serving in the Pacific um, Island of Tonga. And since that time, we sought out opportunities in New York City and Palau and China, uh, Vermont, which also felt like another country, um, <laughs> which we love, you know, and then uh, to Guatemala. And then God has had us in this season of waiting um, while Jason was we were in Idaho for three years while he pursued a new career and then here for just about four years. And so it's um, definitely been a season of waiting and growing for us and just kind of wondering when do we get to kind of pursue that again. And that these are desires God's placed in us and we just, we love living um, among people who are different than us. And I don't, you know, sometimes we feel like we're a little strange because that, that's what lights us up is just being around people, you know, sitting in a group of women in Palau who are all speaking a language I don't know. It's like one of the most comfortable situations for me. And it, 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 it's been, um, it's been it definitely kind of felt like playing, we're playing the long game. Uh, four years ago, just before we moved here, we kind of got this idea in our head and it was such bad timing. Jason had just finished school and we had been through three years of really hard, him going to school full time and working while we had small children. and. He had a cousin who, we were at a family reunion. Sure, yeah. So it's actually a cousin of my mom's, and in their retirement, they decided to spend half the year with family, with their kids and grandkids, and half the year uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he was a Boeing engineer, actually, so for those of you engineering students, uh, a lot of great opportunities there. But I'll let my go. And they spent half the year in both, and it was, oh, we, 
can you do that? You, know, you think of initiatives as being one particular way or one form formula, and for us to really flip the switch that hey, that's that's possible, especially you know when we have this new career, which I'm a forester, and so actually as as we thought more and more about it, it's, it's perfectly suited for this type of thing where there's a lot of seasonal work. So um, it's been really cool to look back and see how God's taken something that seemed like it wasn't the right timing at that time, brought us through this season, and said. Time to, time to move. Yeah. So that's yeah. cool. So, what advice would you have for someone that might feel a tug on their heart and might feel maybe a bit of a call to missions? How? What advice would you give them on how to lean into that or how to discern that? Yeah. Well, one, I guess I'd just reiterate it. It doesn't have to look any particular way. It can look a lot of different ways. And we've been so inspired by Ted and Kara and others who are doing missions locally. And it's it's here. It's in the U.S. It's abroad. It can, part-time, it's full-time, it's so not to let a certain formula or what it's supposed to look like limit what you, what you think of as missions, um, and then also not to let what you think of as limitations for yourself be something that stops you. I look back, you know, you look at Moses and David and all the people yeah. that had serious flaws and serious limitations, and yet God used them, and so when I think about, well, how am I going to help battered women or abused women in Guatemala in a second language, I don't know, but we felt this strongly enough that we're acting in obedience, knowing that God's got a plan for how he's going to use us in that. Um, and so I would say don't let your limitations or your perceived limitations stop you. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, I have a degree in business and in computer information systems, and I always kick myself that, man, I should have done something different that could really help people better. And yet, here we are in a situation, La Casa de la Paz, their primary ministry is to help women who are living in abuse or abandonment around the Lake Atitlán region. And um, certainly I have no degree, you know, college training that is going to help me in that. And yet what we found when we've lived here and anywhere else is that often a smile and a kind word is what you need to be able to minister to people. And so that for me is just... It, I think the process of discernment has been really humbling and just realizing that like God wants us to do this and it's been four years that we've been thinking on it and having it come back up again and again and about two years ago we realized oh, it would be so great to be support staff for missionaries like and that just like turned a light on for us because we've lived overseas we know how hard it is to live overseas and how lonely it can be and like one of Mostly missionaries are sent out on their own, or if you're a couple, you're sent out as a couple or as a family, but there's nobody to go alongside you, and that community is one of the things you miss the most when you live overseas, is just having people who know you, because what you're doing is great, but nobody really knows you or knows your history, and so, yeah, I just, I am completely humbled how God has brought us through this process of using us, even though we don't feel like we're really useful. And just that's what I would say. It's like even if you don't feel useful, God can use you. Luke is going to read over. Do you have that? We, we've got some prayer cards here that we'd uh, love to give out at the end, but uh, afterwards. But um, the verse that we ended up putting on there is, it may seem a little odd, but for us it really struck home. Go ahead. speaking the truth and love, we will all, we will all, in, er, we in all things grow up into Him. And from him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Right. 
And so I think what struck us in that is we, we've never been called to, to be the head or the, the mouth or, you know, maybe that seems uh, less noble, but we are the, the supporting ligaments uh, in the, I think it's the NIVs, has that phrasing, and it just really grabbed us. And so um, that's, that's what we're going to try to do. Yeah, that's an important role. Well, we have a bit of a video that will show how exactly we can pray for you guys. But I think before that, I think I want to just pray for you guys now before we show the video. And so at this time, I'm going to invite up some of our elders uh, to come pray over you guys. And for the rest of you, you can just extend a hand. Um, symbolize just laying a hand on these guys as we pray and commission them out. And then we will play the video from Casa de la Paz immediately following. So we do bow your heads and pray with me. Sorry, if you can finish. Go this way. <laughs> well, Father God, uh, we just thank you for the Schlachman family. Thank you for just the amazing work that you have done in winding their lives um, just on this journey that you've had them on, uh, bringing them here to Common Ground in Rapid City and now sending them off to Guatemala and beyond. Uh, we just see your hand in every little thing that you have worked out on. We just praise you for the details that came together in selling the house and bringing all those things together so that they could be free up to go do this work that you called them to. And we just thank you for that. Uh, we ask that, that you would empower us to be their support community back here in Rapid as, as they lead. Uh, would you show us what it is to, to support these workers as they continue to do the work that, that so few really are willing to do. But God, we just thank you for giving them the heart to do that. Jesus, we just praise you um, for the testament that this family is to your work, to your love. And would you continue to bring them closer together as a family? God, would you just be strengthening Jason and Carrie's marriage? I'm just continuing to make them such an amazing team that can accomplish so much for your purposes because of the love that they have for you and then the love shown to one another. And God, we just thank you um, for the way that they are as parents, for Luke and Mabel, um, for just this incredible journey that, that you've had these kids on at such a young age and, and, and these wisdom and these lessons that you've taught them already. Uh, I just pray that these seeds that are planted in this fruit that's already coming out of these young lives would just be maximized by you, God. Would you just continue to be working in their hearts and in their spirits and we just recognize that your Holy Spirit goes with them even. Um, that they have the same Holy Spirit as, as us adults do and, and we're just excited to see the potential that they have on the field there. We just Pray your protection and pray your blessing over this family as they go. Lord, I'd like to lift up the words of Psalm 96 as a, a way of... Lord, I'd like to lift up the words of Psalm 96 to uh, um, give Jason and Carrie family your, your words, your blessing. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Lord, I just pray that you would give Jason, Carrie, Luke, and Mabel a new song as they start this journey, this adventure together. Lord, just encourage them. Let their hearts be glad that they can see you working every day and can sing those praises. And then it goes on and says, salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the peoples, his marvelous works among all the nations. Lord, you have a love and a desire for all people. 
you have put that into Jason and Carrie's hearts. Lord, I just pray as they go as a supporting role, but they will also have opportunity to speak into the lives of the Guatemalans and the people that they come in contact with. Lord, give them um, command of the language so they can share your love in a way that people can understand. Just that smile or words of encouragement, bring that to mind to whoever they meet. Let them be the light for you. Just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Father, we thank you because you are good in all your ways. We thank you for bringing the Schlafmans to us here at Common Ground and for the blessing that they have been as they've served you and as they serve this church. And we know God with confidence that uh, wherever they go, they'll continue to do that because they've shown their hearts and uh, their heart is for you. God, we pray that as they uh, ride in country, that, Lord, you will have already opened hearts to them. And we pray, God, that you will draw them together into relationships where uh, the that they become the platform for which the gospel can be shared. God, we pray that um, you would give them strength, that you would provide all their needs, and that you would show yourself mighty to them uh, each and every day as they seek to serve you. And Lord, I pray for Luke and I pray for Mabel that you will provide for them some amazing friendships that will extend all the way into eternity. So God, be with them all. And thank you, Lord, that though there is geographic uh, distance, there is not separation. Because in your family, we can be one in spirit, no matter where we're at in this world. And thank you, Lord, that a day is coming when you will gather all your children together and we'll be able to stand in your presence and celebrate the work that you are doing here in Guatemala and every other part of the world. So thank you for faithful servants. Lord, may you find that same faithfulness in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you guys. Go ahead. We, we just also want to Find out ways that we can support these guys as they go, and then now we have a video that will tell you a little bit more about what they'll be doing. In 2012, I was just at a church service, and there was a woman there with a purple, purple face and a purple arm, and I asked her what happened, and she was beaten by her man, and she accepted this as normal, and so I responded to her with a new idea of what normal is. And that's how the Casa de la Paz started through this wonderful woman. Uh, in the first year, we grew to 15 uh, women, 15 family. Uh, after two years, we were up to 40 women. And it got so big that I asked, uh, I needed help. And we got donations from the United States to uh, have an office and hire two part-time people, which were Mercedes and Gloria. And through this, the ministry expanded. All of them have been started organically through women just simply talking to other women. And that's how it started.
Yo vivía como un hombre alcohólico y muy violento. Estrella era traductora de Salamón en How many people have moved more than three times? 
more than five times. How many people have moved more than 10 times, 10 or more? Seriously? 15 or more? 20 or more? Okay, I guess just the Twopmans. You can't count this one yet. This doesn't count yet. We haven't. We've got more than 30. Oh, more than 30. Wow. <laughs> moved 30 times. Okay, you win. <laughs> I probably moved four or five times. I don't know what you win, but I guess you win. <laughs> I probably moved four or five times in my life, and no matter where you go, um, typically it's like the place where you live the longest or certain places have things that just feel like home where they feel right and the place that I lived for the longest in my life was Salem, Oregon as many of you know and we just moved here last August from there and this last June my wife Lena and I took a trip back to Salem we drove the 20 hour drive from Rapid back to Salem and as you're driving there you know there's not really a lot between Oregon and South Dakota. I'm sorry for you Wyoming guys, but there's like, there's a whole lot of Montana, which is a whole lot of nothing, and then a little beautiful. And then once you get, you're driving through just a whole lot of nothing in Eastern Washington, and you finally get to this place right around the Dalles, Oregon, where you come around a corner, and you've been driving in the desert for hours, there's been nothing, and you come around the corner, get right up next to the Columbia River, and then you can see this image right from the highway, and you can just see Mount Hood just taking up the entire skyline, and just as this pinnacle over the river. And for me, this is always a really comforting sight, because even though this is still two and a half hours from Salem, as I've been driving through the desert for so long, when I see the mountain, it's finally like, I'm almost home, like, I'm almost there. And I'm reminded that, all this time, just driving through and navigating through, there's this big landmark that can remind me, I'm almost there, I'm almost home. And depending on where you're from, there might be a different landmark for you that reminds you when you're almost home. It's like when you're headed back this way, back into Rapid, what is it, Crow Peak? That's like one of the first things that you see in the Black Hills as you're driving in. And again, you're just driving through nothing Wyoming, and all of a sudden there are trees again. You're like, yes, I finally made it back to the Black Hills and like civilization. Or then you get closer to town and you can see like Skyline Drive and you can see the towers and you can see that you're getting close to Rapid. And wherever you've lived or if you've ever been away from home or maybe if you've moved 30 times, you've probably experienced that sense when you were almost home again where you saw something that reminded you that you're almost there and there's this comforting feeling and these emotions that get stirred. And for some of you, you probably have those emotions stirred just by mentioning it, right? Wherever it is that feels like home, you know that thing that you look to and that you see that reminds you of home and it triggers those emotions. Because your original home, it, it does something to you. You know, for better or for worse, depending on how long you were there or not, it does something to you and it, and it makes you feel a little more safe, a little more comfortable and it makes you feel better. And you know, the story of humanity is really the story of one losing their rightful home, right? Of humanity being placed in the garden, in the presence of God, walking with God in the cool of the day, and then losing that. And now, spending a long time separated from God's presence and separated from our rightful home. And so, many of us, move along in life with that restless feeling, that kind of homelessness where 
we might feel like this is the place we belong and this is the place God has us, but there's still something missing. We're still not really in our right belong. We're not in the place where we completely belong. And we want to get back to that. And we want to get back to that feeling of being in God's presence. And that's what Psalm 84 is about here. Psalm 84 is a psalm that leads us to consider that feeling, longing for our true home in the presence of God, and how exactly we can find Him in that. How can we seek God and find Him? And so Psalm 84 is all about how we can find our true home in God's presence. Okay, so with that, let's begin and read Psalm 84, beginning in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So Psalm 84, it describes this pilgrimage to the Jewish temple. And so the temple here is the focus of the psalm. This is where the person wants to get to. This is a longing to get back to the temple, to God's dwelling place. And the reason that the psalmist has focused on the temple here is that because for them, for the person singing this song, or for the psalm writer who wrote it, at that time under the Jewish system before Jesus, the temple was God's dwelling place. And the temple was the place where you had to physically travel to in order to be in God's presence. And so this longing, this desire to get to the temple was a longing and a desire to get to God's presence, to be in God's presence. And the psalmist in here, if you notice, used the word blessed or blessed three different times, which is really handy for me because now I get to preach a three-point sermon um, with those three blessings. It's very thoughtful of the psalmist. I'll thank him when I get to heaven. And when we remember the word blessed or blessed in here, um, that's an indication that it's a wisdom psalm, and whenever we see that word, we know that we're not talking about blessings or being blessed in terms of like healthy, wealthy, and wise, and an easy, good life, always up to the right. We're talking about the biblical idea of human flourishing, which predominantly is a life in God's presence, a life in right relationship with God. That's what it means to be blessed. And then the psalmist goes into three different specific things that that means. It's this spiritual relationship with God. And so the three blessed statements are, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And blessed 
is the one who trusts in you. So those are going to be really the three. I don't know why they're all ones, but there's three of them. I can't count, I promise. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Those are kind of the three main points of Psalm 84 here. So looking at that first one, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Now this statement, it's really an expression of the psalmist's deep desire to be back in God's presence, right? He wants so badly to be near to God. And you can just see the way he started the psalm. If you look back at verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And he's describing this desire to be in God's presence in a really powerful way, almost in a physical sense, right? He even faints for the courts of the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever been like so thirsty that you're about to faint. I haven't quite been to that point. I had some like two-a-day football practices in high school where we got pretty close. I feel like I was real close to it, which is funny because at my high school, after I graduated, they... Uh, they pulled out the green turf because it needed to be replaced, and then they installed black turf, and they became the only high school in the country with black turf, and it was really cool. Their stadium was called the Black Hole. Well, black turf gets really, really hot in the summer, and they were having issues with players getting sick, getting hot, and fainting, and so they had to tear that out like five years later and fix it. But, you know. but if you've ever been to that place where you were so thirsty, you're about to faint, this is what he's describing here. And then he says, my flesh cries out. And I don't know how your flesh cries out. Maybe you can keep that to yourself. Um, but maybe what he meant, you know, I know that when my flesh cries out, typically it's because I'm hungry. That's one time when my flesh cries out a lot. All right, that rumble in your stomach. And it's always the worst. Like if you're sitting in a really quiet meeting or you're in class or you're sitting in church and then your stomach just like rumbles and growls. And your flesh is crying out for the presence of God, really, is what that is. But that's how, that's how the psalmist describes it here. He's describing this longing, this desire for God as like, it's a physical, visceral thing. My body is crying out. I have like a hunger and a roaring belly for God, for God's presence. And so the first thing I think we have to ask ourselves is, do we feel this way? Um, if we're going to be people that find God and find God's presence on this journey of life, then it begins with wanting that, with just wanting God's presence. And maybe we're not quite to the point where we can describe our flesh as crying out or about to faint, but can we relate in any way? Do we, do we have a desire for God's presence? Are we sensing that missing home that we're not quite in or that missing piece of our life that's not quite there? Do you hunger for God? Because this, I believe, is the start of experiencing the presence of God, or of being in right relationship to God, is just wanting it. Actually wanting it. Now, the 4th century theologian, who many would say has had the biggest impact on Christianity outside of people who were in the Bible, is Augustine. And he said this, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Later in the 1600s, Blaise Pascal, the famous French scientist and theologian, he said that, and he was the first person to say this, 
that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There's this hunger, this desire, there's even this vacuum or this hole in us that causes us to desire God. And if you guys want to get real philosophical and keep you up at night, let me ask you this question. Do you think God created you with that hole in your soul, or do you think that's a result of the fall? You don't have to answer it now. But, or is it just this weird emptiness? But I think that's, that's a pretty important question. Did he create us with this? And I, I don't know, I could be wrong. I'm wrong about a lot of things. But I would say that I think, potentially, I think God just created us with this hole or with this desire for him, regardless. And I think, even in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve would have had this vacuum in their hearts and vacuum in their lives for God. It's just that they had that whole filled. They had God's presence. They were walking in the cool of the day with God. And so they never had to realize that that hole was there. They were always with him. I think we're always meant to be desiring God. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And so I think that, that God has created us with this, this hole that causes a frustration when we're not fully in his presence, right? That he created us not to be alone, but to be with him. He created us so that he could be the one to fill that hole. And so we have these yearnings, we have these longings, we have this feeling that we're not quite where we're supposed to be, or that there's something missing in our life, we're not quite home yet. And those little instances, those little feelings that we have, can be reminders to us. Reminders to us that that's right, I I'm kind of hungry. That's a grumbling in my belly. That's, that's something that I need in my life. That's something I need. That's really an inadequacy that only God can fill. And we know that we live in a world where, where our fears and our inadequacies and this missing piece of our soul is really played on by the world, right? Everyone seems to offer something that will fill that or something that will fix that. Or tell us, well, if you just do this, if you just say this, if you just follow this, then you'll feel complete and whole. But we're reminded in Psalm 84 that our ultimate joy is only truly satisfied by God's presence, by being in God's dwelling place. Now, the famous Alliance theologian A.W. Tozer wrote a little book called The Pursuit of God. If you haven't read it, I would say that's like a prerequisite for all Christians. Once you've finished reading the Bible, read the pursuit of God, and it's only like a hundred pages. You could finish it in like the time span it takes to watch one movie. It's public domain, so it's free online. If you just Google A.W. Tozer, the pursuit of God, it's on Google there for free. And he said this. He said, to have found God and to still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by too easily satisfied religionists, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. And so for us, for Christians who, who have been made right in God's eyes and who have this relationship with God, sometimes I think we can get to the point 
my KW tells her made, where we can be the too easily satisfied religionists, where we're not wanting more of God's presence, or where we're not recognizing the times in which our stomach is hungry, when we could be closer to him. And this longing, this desire, I think we should view as God working in us, God bringing us to himself. And I think it first comes with just us noticing the need and wanting it. Wanting God's presence. And then leaning into that feeling. And then as you go through this psalm, um, you can almost imagine he's like describing the temple. He's describing God's dwelling place. And then he has a bit of an ADD moment and he sees the sparrow, right? It's this beautiful place where God dwells. And then he says, you know, wow, even the sparrow has a home here. And the psalm writer is really comforted by this reality. He's comforted by the reality that there's a bird in the temple. And often in those days, you know, they didn't have screens on the windows, and so birds could get in the temple. And there were likely just little birds, like sparrows, flying around. And I know that you guys have never had these moments where you're, like, really distracted in church because you have such a captivating pastor to listen to. But I know that there are times when, like, okay, little things will, like, catch your attention. And that's essentially what happened here. Um, but God was using that little thing that caught his attention to teach him something really important. It wasn't just a coincidence that there were sparrows in it. It might have started as a distraction, but that was an opportunity for God to speak through him and through this environment that he created. And you see sparrows all throughout the scriptures. They're talked about a few different times. Um, Matthew chapter 10 uh, records a time when Jesus was saying, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? means they're pretty cheap. They're not, not valuable. Um, and sparrows are actually used a few different times in the scripture as just describing, like, okay, this is like the cheapest animal. This is like a garbage bird, you know? And so anytime you see sparrows, especially in a book like the Psalms, he's using this poetic imagery to describe, okay, well, basically this little garbage bird, you know? It's still kind of cute, but it's a garbage bird. And maybe you can relate to that. You might feel like, I'm a little trashy, but I'm kind of cute. You know? <laughs> maybe you can relate. <laughs> but even if it, that is how you relate, there's a place for you in God's presence. There's a place for you in the temple. And God allows these trashy but kind of cute little birds in his presence. And then the psalmist switches to talking about a different kind of bird, a swallow. And swallows in Hebrew poetry have always represented someone who is restless, someone who is stressed out, anxious, maybe frantically working, someone who is always just fluttering around and being really, really busy, but not necessarily productive. In Proverbs 26, 2, it says, like a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. The swallow is... Someone who never comes to rest. It's just running around frantically. It's this picture of the workaholic, of the anxious person, of the person that never really feels like home, never really feels like they can settle down, never really feels like they belong anywhere. And it's this busy little bird building its house out of mud and straw, and it's apparently building its house right next to the altar of the Lord in here. It's building it in the temple, in this really holy place. God was allowing that to happen here. He makes space for that swallow to rest there, to build a home and to have her young there. 
And again, it's not just a coincidence that the psalmist noticed this bird, and it's not just a coincidence that the bird got into the temple in the first place, because God was using this little swallow really as a picture for Israel, and anyone that could come in here and see, come into the temple and see the swallow building a nest would be comforted by the reality that when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, they were freed from the work of making mud and straw bricks for the Egyptians, and this restless, busy slave labor that they have, and now in God's presence, they can find rest. And they're reminded of the curse that they were under, and how they oftentimes are these restless, anxious little workers. But God has a place for them, and they can find rest in his presence. And so the motivation here, when it comes to God's dwelling place, and blessed are those who dwell in God's presence. I don't know which one of those you relate to, if you feel like you're the anxious, busy, building, not quite settled swallow, or maybe the trashy but kind of cute sparrow. There's a place for you in God's presence. God invites you to want it. And we should notice those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings when, okay, maybe I do feel that way, or like I can't relate to one of these birds, or I can't relate to one of these situations, and we can remember that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as Psalm 139 declares, as one who was made in the image of God. And so this should just provoke a hunger and a thirst in us, hunger and thirst for God's presence. And for us, who are Alliance people and very, very committed to the Great Commission, if we want to provoke hunger and thirst in the world and in our city for God, Really, it starts with us. It starts with us being so hungry for God's presence that it's noticed in our conversation, in our actions, in just the way that we've organized our life, that our desire for God, our want for His presence, comes out. So are you desiring God? Are you, do you want His presence? And the second blessed, the second blessed is, blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And we see in this section the vision of a pilgrim making a trek to the temple in Jerusalem. And you know, back then, if you were a faithful Jew, then every year you would make this long trip, or maybe short trip, depending on where you lived, to the temple in Jerusalem to honor God and to show up for worship. And this blessed statement, this blessed statement shows us when it comes to seeking God's presence, if blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage, then let's go on pilgrimage, right? Then let's move towards His presence. Let's take a step towards God. You know, the journey to the temple was long. Um, if you look at the very top of your Bible at this psalm, it says it was written by the sons of Korah. Uh, and for a while, the Korahites, this group of people, they lived in a city called Shechem which was 45 miles north of Jerusalem. So we don't know if this guy lived here, but say we take the average trip for someone like a Korahite, they would have to walk 45 miles to the temple to make this trip. I don't know how fast you walk, but that would probably take you a few days. And so this trip to Jerusalem was long and hard. It was extensive. It was probably inconvenient for a lot of them. But it was worth it. And the psalmist declares that over and over again. It's worth it. And, and it's blessed is the one who has decided to go on pilgrimage and who has decided to go to God's temple. 
And with any long journey, it's just like the old cliche goes, right? The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, right? Or another old cliche that if you move towards God just one inch, he has moved towards you one inch times infinity, right? That oftentimes when it comes to seeking God's presence, we just need to take one step towards him. And really, it's probably kind of a cliche theme in the church, this whole idea of faith or life as a journey. Um, but that's the way that the Bible describes faith and our lives over and over again, as this journey, as this movement, as following God. This theme is everywhere. And it's everywhere, and especially we see at times that this journey is difficult. And this journey is often long. But this journey becomes more manageable and more endurable and even more enjoyable, I would say, when we remember just how good it is, the place that we're going. When we remember that God's presence, just as said in the very beginning of the song, is worth it. It's worth this long journey. And for us on this side of the cross, we have a bit of an adjustment because we don't actually have to take a physical pilgrimage to the geographical temple in Jerusalem, right? that we have been given the Holy Spirit because of Christ's work on the cross, and now living post-Pentecost, we have God's presence with us all the time. And God granted that to us. But if you ever read you know, the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the realities that Paul was just painstakingly trying to explain, and something that he said over and over again, was getting them to remember that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does dwell in them that they don't have to go on this pilgrimage anymore. He says, do you not know you're the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. He says that we are the temple, and the Spirit of God is with you. But still, still our faith is this journey of discipleship, right? It's this journey of following God and becoming more like Him. And it isn't always easy. And it's a journey in which Jesus actually invited us to carry our cross during that journey. And oftentimes we'll feel like one of the great journeys in the Bible, the Israelites wandering through the wilderness, where it doesn't really feel very clear, like, where exactly God is leading us. And, and His presence, like He promised us, doesn't quite feel tangible or visceral like the psalmist described. Oftentimes we might feel like we are just wandering like the Israelites. We're like we don't really have this presence in us and we can have these feelings. But nonetheless, God has invited us on this journey of seeking him, of following him. And we can commit to this journey, whatever the cost, as the psalmist said, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Now in verse 6 there, uh, there's no geographical place that we know of called the Valley of Baca. Baca means weeping. And so this is poetry. Remember, this is a song that was written for them to sing. And so the songwriter is being creative. And you know, he's saying they made up their mind to go the distance to seek God. And that journey will even take them through these valleys of weeping. Will even take them through these hard places. And the psalmist keeps it real for us. 
and reminds us that even if we're seeking after God, even if we're moving towards Him, even if we've taken a step to pursue Him and we're doing the right things, often that will still lead us to hard places, to the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. And this reality is put in front of us, but yet there's a hope that they make it a place of springs. And this is really some intense poetic imagery where as the person who's on pilgrimage to the temple cries, their tears are creating pools and springs all along the way. And these tears actually become like the strength that others need, and these tears are giving life to an entire environment. If you know much about how important it is for spring to be in an area, their tears and their sadness and this difficulty has now been a spring and given life to this entire area. But now often on our journey of faith, when we go through the valleys of weeping, our tears or our sadness or our times of intense emotions don't always provide strength for others, do they? I know for myself, in my own times of emotional unhealth, I create a lot of mud puddles that people get stuck in or that people like need showers because of. Um, but God makes this offer that these times can actually become times that can strengthen others. Times that, that can actually impact our environments in a positive way. And he's offered that these times of sadness and weeping when we're in his presence are transformed to actually provide for others. And then it says there, the autumn rains also cover it with pools. Some of you are versions of the Bible, depending on which one you're reading, it might not say autumn rains, it might say the early rains. And this is because, obviously, depending on where you lived in relation to Jerusalem, most of the pilgrims would go to the temple in the spring during Passover. And so if you were crying, if it were raining in autumn on your journey, then you must be ahead of the game, or you must have left really early, or you must live really far away. And so you had to leave in the autumn. You're going to be taking months to get there. And so many other pilgrims have yet to leave. And you're going to be kind of the first group there. But because you have made that trek, the others behind you are now able to take advantage of that, are now strengthened by your pursuit of God, by your pilgrimage, because of the way that you saw after him. Now the people that come after you will be strengthened and provided for, and now there will be water in the desert here. And it goes on in verse 7. They go from strength to strength until each appears before God in Zion. The, the tears, the pain at the beginning of the journey is actually what the other people needed to have the strength for the rest of their journey. This, for the pilgrims who might have gone through this valley of weeping, can see that this is not only for your own strength, but your pursuit of God is helpful to others as well. That others can be able to see the way that you seek after Jesus and be strengthened and empowered and refreshed by that. And really it takes a step. But the reminder for us is that, okay, well we just need to take a step towards God. And whatever that means for you, um, depending on maybe you practice a, a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice, you, you read your Bible, you spend more time in prayer, um, you commit to getting together with some other believers with whom you can encourage or 
talk about your pursuit of God or, or someone who you feel like is maybe a few steps ahead of you in the journey and you can talk with them and learn something about that journey. These are all things that you can do to take a step. For those of you in this room, I would say, because you're here, that's a good step as well. You've taken one step towards God by showing up to church or maybe by listening to this online later. So take a step towards the presence of God. And let's go on this pilgrimage towards Him. Because we have a God who says, for those on the journey through the desert, Come to me, all who are thirsty, and I'll give you a drink. For those who are weary and tired and working like a swallow, come to me, and I'll give you rest. And he invites us to take a step, to move towards him on pilgrimage. And the final blessed statement is, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. And it's at the very end, in verse 12, I am wrapping up this last section of the psalm. And so he goes on in verse 8 to say, Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your, appointed, on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And we can hear the song playing in our head here. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Focus on this section here. When it comes to trusting in God, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I think when it comes to this third blessed statement, this is a great application here to be a doorkeeper. Be a doorkeeper. Now, as I mentioned, this psalm was written by the sons of Korah. Uh, they were a line of descendants from the Levites who were kind of the line of priests in Jerusalem. They were guys who worked at the temple. And the sons of Korah had yearly duties at the temple. They had to go there every year to work, meaning they kind of lived in a different city and had to travel, most likely Shechem, where a lot of them lived. And so for two weeks out of the year, they were assigned to go to the temple and work, and they were assigned to work at the east and north gates of the temple where they were doorkeepers. And it was there at the door where they would play instruments, they would sing, and then they would also kind of coordinate worship for everyone. You know, people were coming, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people were coming from all over the region, speaking different languages, with all these different animals to sacrifice, needing to exchange currencies and stuff. And the Korahites were there at the door to kind of direct everyone on where to go, to tell them who to talk to, where to take their animals, where to buy animals, they were singing songs, they were leading people in worship, and they were facilitating a lot of worship. And this wasn't a job that was necessarily very prestigious or that was looked at with very high esteem, being the doorkeeper. It's kind of a long story, but the sons of Korah kind of got demoted to the position of doorkeeper. Um, talk about that another time. And so they were just really at the door, not really participating that much in worship, but they were doing all of like the administrative tasks or the little organizing, facilitating jobs that made worship possible for everyone else, for everyone entering the temple. And they were often the first people that these pilgrims would see as they made this long journey and they finally got to the temple. The Korahites would have been the first ones they see here. And so it wasn't the best job in the world. It wasn't the most prestigious. It wasn't something that everyone wanted to do. But it was incredibly important to facilitate worship for all these people. And they had a front row seat at what God was doing. 
they were able to witness all the different things that God was doing in the temple and all the worship that others were practicing and participating in. So they just stood there at the east and the north gates and they arranged worship for everyone else. And you know, we have a lot of doorkeepers in here at Common Ground. We have a lot of people who come in early and plug everything in or tear down or set up or who make delicious cinnamon banana muffins in the morning that we get to eat. Hopefully there's some left. But people who are facilitating worship or doing those maybe annoying little tasks that have to be done in order for everyone to worship God, in order for God to get glory. You know? It's like, don't look at it right now, but I just redid our tech booth in the back. Um, we're trying to make it look nice and kind of blend in there. And I'm not the handiest person in the world. And as I was working on it and measuring it, I made sure I was going to put this panel on it, and I measured this perfect rectangular square, straight edged it, measured it. It's like the most perfect square in the world. Cut it out, and I go to put it on the desk. And this desk is our old tech booth from the creamery. And then I realized, well, why did I focus on making this perfect square? Because the desk is not even close to being perfect. <laughs> And so I was just reminded, and I messaged Brian a picture of how not flush it was, and I just said, like, hey, thank you for building this thing in the past. I repent of cursing your name when I tried to put this square thing on there. <laughs> and it's all these little tasks that, man, I just have to thank him for building and doing that. And so often, when you get into ministry or you want to serve the Lord, you have these grand visions of, like, oh, I can't wait to speak in front of thousands of people and stuff. And oftentimes, God is calling you to, like, Make a desk so that we can have worship on a Sunday. And it's going to kind of look ugly. It's not something that they actually teach you in Bible school. But you know what? That's kind of what it means to be a doorkeeper. It's to do those things. To do that work that needs to be done for others to worship. And this last week, Nick and I actually had a really good opportunity to be doorkeepers. And to just stand there while others worshipped when... On Wednesday morning, I got a phone call from Misty Van Nett. Um, for you guys who have gone on the Mexico mission trip, you probably know Vince and Misty Van Nett from Saratoga, Wyoming. I got a call from them about kind of this weird connection on how someone from their church's relative was in a motorcycle crash at the rally, and they were on life support at the hospital, and their family was flying in, um, basically to pull them off of life support. And their family doesn't know anyone in Rapid City, they don't have any connections, and they were just hoping, could someone just go to the hospital and be with these people as they pull life support on their mother here, on their family member? And they just reached out saying, like, you're the only people we know in Rapid City, can you do it? And so we, we actually had this beautiful plan of having our Wednesday prayer night meet there because they were supposed to land at 5.30 and then we would go to the hospital and meet and pray with them. Didn't end up landing until about 8.30, and so, Got to the hospital about 10 p.m., uh, but nonetheless, Nick and I got to be there with his family as they went in and they pulled their mother off of life support and said goodbye to her. And we really didn't do much at all, uh, but they really wanted us there. They really wanted us there to pray with them and to just be a doorkeeper, to just stand there and to facilitate the worship. And, and even though it wasn't like the most amazing ministry thing we've ever done. I just really saw firsthand what it is to just 
witness people worshiping God. And these people who came and are saying goodbye through tears, but yet they know that her place is in heaven and they have this hope and they're praising God that she is a believer and they're praising God for the last five years when she really came back to the Lord. And we get to witness that by just showing up, by just a phone call from Wyoming saying, hey, can you be here at this time? Really, I think that's the call for many of us is to be a doorkeeper, to be the reason that someone worships God or just to do something that makes worship possible for them, to facilitate their worship in some way. Whether that be showing up when a friend calls or offering to help someone when you know that they're really going through a lot or when they're moving or when they need a puppy sitter or all these different things. To be a doorkeeper. Be a doorkeeper and to facilitate worship for others. And to trust that God works even in that. It's not the most prestigious thing. This might not be the thing that you really want to do in ministry. This might not be the thing that is going to have like the biggest impact for the kingdom in your eyes. But trust that this is where God has you and this is the work that God has for you to do. And Carrie and Jason's story of feeling like the ligaments is such a beautiful picture of that as well. They're going, they're going to be doorkeepers. So blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord Almighty in all this and trusts that he is working even as you stand by the door. So for many of us, you know, our felt experience doesn't really reflect that we are home yet and that we have God's presence all the time. There are times when we don't feel like we're close to him. There are times when we're aching to be back in his presence. And oftentimes we are just anxiously working like a swallow but not really knowing what for. Or maybe we are feeling like a cute little garbage bird, like a sparrow, instead of feeling like this beautiful person made in the image of God. Or, or maybe we don't feel like we're on this pilgrimage to this clear location of the temple. Instead, we feel like we're just kind of wandering on a globe with just all the possibilities in no direction. But yet, in all this, we can trust God. We can trust in his leading. We can trust that even if we don't feel it, that his presence is with us. We can trust that even in the little things that we do for his name, that he's working in that as well. And we can trust God in all of this. And as you journey towards God, may the cross just continue to be that mountain that reminds you you're almost home. Anytime you hear the name Jesus, anytime you see the cross and you see the work that he did, may that be a reminder to you that you are almost home. That you do have the Holy Spirit's presence within you. And that one day, that hole inside of you will be filled to the full. But in the meantime, want to seek God. Take a step. Take a step on this journey towards him. And then as much as possible, sometime this week, would you just be a doorkeeper? Would you facilitate worship for someone else this week? And give them the space to be able to worship our God. Deal? Great. Well, would you pray with me? So we go back to worship. Well, Father God, we just thank you for this song. We thank you for your process, the reminder as the, the mountain in the distance, uh, where it is that we're journeying towards, of the presence that we do have in our lives, even when we can't feel it. Father God, would you just stir in us the hunger for yourself? 
Would you encourage and empower us to the point where we actually take a step and do something about it? Would you show us how it is that we can be a doorkeeper? Give us an opportunity this week to, to facilitate worship for some of us. To make glorifying your name possible for someone else. That we may witness the great work that you're doing in the lives of others and then be encouraged and strengthened by that. Scott, we just want to play a role in your kingdom and we just desperately want you. So Jesus, we just thank you for speaking to us through your word. Uh, would you just write this on our hearts and minds and continue to make us people that look more like your son Jesus. So it's in Jesus' name that I pray.